Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and for our conversation about Psalm 59, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Libby Backfish. In this episode, we talk about the repetition that it runs throughout this psalm, how we might think about the laughter of God in this psalm, and we even talk about a practice that this psalm and perhaps all the psalms invite us into in our prayers. To get us started and to kick off our conversation, here's Libby reading Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie and wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you who are the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths? The words from their lips are sharp as swords, and they think, who can hear us? But you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all those nations. You are my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me. But do not kill them, Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might, uproot them and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them in your wrath, consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl, if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength. In the morning I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. Libby, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for a really wonderful reading of that psalm. I appreciate it. Shall we just dive in? Let's do it. Let's get to our questions. The first question is always a simple one, and I'm always curious. What stood out to you in reading this psalm? So much stood out to me. I'm curious to see what stood out to you. But one of the things was a lot of the repetition in this psalm. Yes. Repetition Mm -hmm. of words, repetition of imagery. I'm sure our listeners caught on to some of that, like that imagery of the snarling dogs Mm -hmm. comes back two times. The words of their lips is repeated. Even the structure of the psalm is repeated. We have petition, then complaint, then trust, petition, complaint, and then trust. And then one of the images that really struck me is this imagery of fortress. Yeah. And we see that imagery throughout the Psalms. God is a fortress, he's a refuge, he's a stronghold. But I noted a subtle difference that happens in this Psalm. So in verse one, the Psalmist says, deliver me from my enemies, O God, be my fortress against those who are attacking me. He's imploring God to do this, asking God to do it. And then in verse nine and 16 and 17, we just have a statement of trust. Mm. God, you Mm -hmm. are my fortress, you are my fortress, you are my fortress. So, What this has made me consider is either the psalmist has moved from asking God to be a fortress to a firm belief that he is in fact a fortress, or he just holds both of those realities to be true, wanting God to be something that he is by his very nature. Hmm. 
And I think we do this a lot when we pray as well, whether we recognize it or not. Uh, lately, I've been praying a lot for healing, right? There's a lot of people who are sick in our church and in, among my students. And mm-hmm. so often I will pray to God as a healer. We know that God is the great healer. That's part of his nature. And then we ask him to act on that character, act on that nature, you know, yeah. heal my friend, heal my family member. And we, it's beautiful to see the psalmist um, do that as well with this imagery of protection. Mm. I love that. There's a lot maybe that we'll keep unpacking in there too over our next couple of questions. Yeah, I, I, the repetition stands out and you can't read this psalm without thinking, wait, did I just read that? And then you go back. And, you know, I, I grew up singing these songs that were very repetitious. That was just kind of the Christian tradition I came up in where, you know, you return to your chorus and you, there's your bridge. And as I was reading the psalm, I was like, oh, I see. Here's the bridge. It's the snarling dog or the pre-chorus, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then we go into the chorus and then we repeat. It was one of the psalms that I read and I was most like, I can see how this would be sung mm-hmm. by people just because it had, at least it was familiar, there was some familiarity with kind of the song tradition that I spent time with in youth group growing up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh yeah, I can see. And of course then, of course, all the psalms may have been sung or chanted in some capacity in different ways. But it's always interesting when you have a little bit kind of a hook, I think. So that was one thing that stood out to me immediately. I I usually don't make it a habit of putting a question to the guest, but with you, I'll make an exception because I, I trust your ability. <laughs> I was curious, can you help me understand a little bit the the reference to the nations in in this psalm, which comes up also a couple of times, I think. First time in verse five, mm-hmm. where rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Mm-hmm. And then in verse eight, you scoff at all those nations. I, when I started reading the psalm, it felt like a very kind of intimate psalm. Like the, the circle of address felt kind of small. Like here's David. And even the title of the psalm tells us it's when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Mm-hmm. Like I felt very kind of, not that the stakes are small, but the people involved. It's not sort of a global a global sense here. Correct. Does that yeah, make the, sense? It seems like, according to the title, that these enemies are his friends or at least people within Israel. So right. why is he turning his attention to the nations? That that was my question. I wondered if you had any, kind of any reflections or thoughts yeah. on it. So my gut reaction would be that it could be that he's picking up language from other psalms, other you know songs that yeah. would be sung against the nations, because certainly nations would have been perceived as enemies in various points in Israel's history, even if this particular occasion is against more closer, intimate enemies. Or it could be that the title given, the heading, came much later. Mm. So someone thought, huh, this kind of fits with maybe how David was feeling. We don't know for sure when those titles worked their way in. So that could be part of it. And then kind of as an extension to your question, Mm. why this this hostility against the nations when elsewhere in Scripture we see God's love for the nations? Mm. And that's a tension we see throughout the Old Testament is this, you know, desire for God to punish the nations, but then God's love for the nations. And I think both things are true, that the nations need to be punished for what they've done against God and his people. But ultimately, uh, just like Israel is going to be punished for their sin, God wants those nations to be brought in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's almost like an invitation, like the psalmist is asking God sort of to identify with him Mm. in some sense, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like God's enemies then become my enemies, my enemies become your enemies. Mm -hmm. And then, in fact, go before me such that you'll then let me gloat over them, (laughs) which I thought was a particularly interesting Mm -hmm. kind of turn of phrase. But that's really helpful, Libby. Thanks. 
Uh, Maybe we can move to our second question. And I started rephrasing this question a little bit from what do we learn about God to we can we that that still remains the question. But also like, what do we encounter about God from this? Because I find, you know, 59 Psalms in, I found that sometimes when I start thinking about that question, I can start to try to like pull out some kind of didactic truth, you know, that, and it's not to say that that's not in the Psalms or that we can't learn things about God from the Psalms. But often I find that I tend to answer and guests tend to answer also about something they're, they, they kind of encounter about God, mm, something yeah. that is true about him, uh-huh. but also that there's something kind of personal and resonant. So I've started using that word encounter a little bit more. So I like that. what do we yeah. learn or encounter about God in this Psalm? So much, um, just like we mentioned, this fortress imagery. But mm. what I really reflected on is the line you just noted about, he will let me gloat over those who slander yes. me. And then right before that, starting in verse 8, but you, talking to God, laugh at them. Mm. You scoff at them. And so I'm wrestling with, okay, is the God of the Old Testament a God who laughs and scoffs and lets his servants gloat over enemies? Because that doesn't seem congruent with Jesus telling us to love our enemies and turn the other cheek. Right. And so I've been reflecting on that. And if you look at the line right before this laughing and scoffing imagery, we're talking about the enemies and all the lies they're spewing from their lips. And the enemies say, who can hear us? And it's almost like God is cracking up over the absurdity and how ridiculous it would be that they would assume that the omniscient, omnipresent God couldn't hear them. And when you look at other cases, uh, I think of like Psalm 2, Psalm 37, which you've already looked at, where God is also laughing at enemies. He's never doing it in a mean-spirited way. It's always in response to some kind of hostility, often verbal hostility, against him or his people. Mm. And so it's not a mean-spirited kind of gloating laughter that we might think of, like bullies in school or something like that. But it's just highlighting how ridiculous it is to challenge or call into question the very God of the universe. And I think if we visualize this, like if we could actually think of these enemies saying, oh, who can hear us? Mm. And God's like there, i.e. everywhere, <clears throat> me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could hear a whisper before you even whisper it. It kind of just highlights the absurdity. So that's something that, you know, we, we see that language and it might not feel comfortable to us. But I think the more we reflect on it and just really recognize, you know, what the enemies were doing, I think it's quite godlike for him to to laugh in those circumstances. Yeah, that that's really helpful. What I feel like you've really helped put a finger on for me is that the Psalms are pointing us to like objective reality in a way that I think often, I don't know whether this is cultural or personal or whatever the dynamics are, we live so much kind of in our subjective realities. So like, what what do I think? What am I comfortable with? What do mm-hmm. I feel? As opposed to what is, and I think what this Psalm is doing is saying, okay, here's here's like these snarling dogs. Here's their subjective reality. Who can hear us? They, mm-hmm. And they like are having a great time because they think no one can. And then beyond that is an objective reality. And in this case, those two are in conflict. And the invitation of the Psalms is always to bring our subjective reality in alignment mm. with kind of what it, what is really true about mm. our world. And I, I think you pointing out the ways that, you know, objectively, like zoom out, have a different, like take your perspective and just tweak it a little bit, you know, 45 degrees here and you can see, well, it's ridiculous. Mm. That's really helpful. I feel like that's kind of putting, putting for me kind of a finger on one of the remarkable things that the Psalm does. So... Anyway, I don't know if that was clear, but that was yeah, one of the things. It was, it was clear. It was deep. And it's not antithetical to his love. Right. Right. And it's not impartial. I think he would 
laugh and scoff at Israel if they were to mock him. Sure. And it's an extension of his love. He's not going to put up with it or make make anyone think that that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing about God here, it, I was struck by just that the psalmist keeps naming God as the fortress, which we've already talked a little bit about. Mm-hmm. And I was just yeah struck by the fact that that doesn't change, seem to change the circumstance immediately or in the midst mm-hmm. of the psalm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're, they're naming God as the fortress and yet the enemies are still coming, right? Mm-hmm. And here they are. And in one sense, it makes total sense that this is what is both kind of, please be this and you are this. But it's like the quality and the nature of the protection isn't isn't necessarily like guaranteed. Like there is a real, there's a real ask for deliverance. Yeah. That's not being sort of downplayed here. At the same time, the fact that they, they continue to return to you are my fortress, you are my fortress, mm-hmm. when we might sort of look at it and say, well, maybe not. If, <laughs> like they keep coming back, and they, like they yeah. keep returning at evening. Like, do you have another night of sleeplessness because the enemies are at the door, so to speak? I thought, okay, it just felt like it was one of those things that's just hinting us beyond. And I think mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this in the Psalms too, how, how they sometimes are just hinting us beyond. Like there's, there's something, there's a deeper kind of protection here. There's a deeper reality, maybe. There's a deeper care mm-hmm. that God has for us. It includes deliverance mm-hmm. in the moment, and that's a perfectly good thing to pray for. But even that, my God on whom I can rely, as the last kind of phrase of the psalm suggests, oh, that that as I read that and as I read the whole psalm, it feels like that's pointing us to something kind of even even a little bit more than just rescue me from this particular moment. Yeah. And it reminds me a lot of what we do every week when we come to church and we sing a lot of songs and we sing praise and trust songs, even if we don't feel like God is delivering us from our current circumstances. And we do it so that we can remind ourselves and each other that God is still a fortress, even if it sure doesn't feel like it at the moment. And it makes me think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and and Daniel when um, they're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they say that awesome statement that, you know, even God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we Mm -hmm. still won't bow down to your God. And I just think that's the heart and soul of the psalmist. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I feel like you've taken us really nicely to our third question. So let's ask that question. How does this psalm, tell us more about how this psalm helps us to pray, because we've already (laughs) been talking around it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if listeners caught on to this, but verse 11 seems to kind of come out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, the, the psalmist is angry. He wants his enemies judged, you know, consume them, lots of strong language. And then verse 11 says, but do not kill them, Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. Hmm. And there's a lot of, there's different interpretations. Some people think that that's just a contradiction to the rest of scripture. And so probably that's an editor later inserting that statement. And I think that's pretty boring, but uh, I don't see any textual evidence for that. And some people think that this is escalated rage, but that what he's asking for is for God not to kill them quickly and Mm. mercifully, but to keep them in anguish so that they'll suffer more, kind of like a mafia vibe you know <laughs> like make an example of i them. will admit as i read it that was my initial <laughs> really oh, well then you're in line with brueggemann there <laughs> you're in yeah. good company well oh, but i'm very curious what else you had to say but i thought the the line that made me think that was maybe or, that or my people will forget, forget. Sort of yeah so you want to extend that example that so punishment yeah but tell me more but i wonder and don't quote me on this but i wonder if there's an intentional tension here between what the psalmist's gut desire is in the heat mm. of his anguish you know, like, oh, I just want them all wiped out. I hate them so much. And a more calculated, okay, but what I should want is justice. 
Hmm. And justice might not be total annihilation, but it might be, you know, uprooting them, bring them down so that the people can see what justice really is Hmm. and not what I want to happen right now because I hate them so much. And I mention that because so often we see that kind of tension in the Psalms where they're saying something just brutally honest because it's their feelings, but it's kind of in conflict with what they know to be true, either Mm. about God or about what they want to happen to the enemy. So I'm thinking of like Psalm 22, and I think we talked about this one together, where it starts off saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then several verses later, but God, you've never forsaken me. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have that clear juxtaposition of what I feel like right now, but what I know to be true. And so I'm wondering if this is kind of a rare glimpse into what the psalmist actually thinks would be just, not to kill them, And so what we do with that, Mm. or my people will forget, is to say, I want my people to see what justice really looks like in this case. So, and and I think that answers our third question of how does it help us to pray? Because it frees us to bring our full feelings, as laments do, to God, even if they're opposed to what we know to be true. But then they also kind of challenge us to keep in tension with that. What should we be praying for? If those are our feelings, we don't want to end there. What should we move to? What yeah. do we know to be true? Mm. That's great. I'm very compelling. Well, maybe I can just add one more thing about how the Psalms help us to pray. And it goes yeah. back, in fact, to your very first point, the different ways that the psalmist is praying to God as their fortress in this kind of prayer for protection. I love the way that you put it, that the psalmist is both wanting something about who God already is. I also thought there is a sense in this psalm or it felt like there is kind of an anticipation God, please be this. Mm-hmm. There's like a, in the present moment, I need you to be this. And even maybe towards the end of the Psalm where you have the same language kind of repeated twice, mm-hmm. there's maybe a hint of looking back. You 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 are, you are this, you have been this, kind of you will be this. And, you know, occasionally it feels like the Psalms just have maybe like even can inspire kind of a practical prayer practice. And I just thought it would be really fascinating, I think, to spend some time in prayer and take some attribute of God in this case, sorry, his protection, his care, his deliverance, Mm -hmm. and reflect and maybe ask and pray the questions of God, how have you been that for me? Mm -hmm. How do I need you to be that for me? And how are you being that for me Mm -hmm. right now? It just, this Psalm, as I read it, just felt like those different moments in the Psalm, these different glimpses of praying. It's like all those things are, are something that is true about God. And I'm experiencing them and will experience them and I hope to experience them in all different ways. I thought that could be a really rich kind of practice to sit with. And maybe it's not God as fortress uh, for our listeners. Maybe it's something about how God has been gracious to us or maybe it's his generosity or maybe it is his justice or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I thought oh, there's something in that about kind of looking at the different ways that God has done that in our life that this psalm just felt like it was kind of rich and inviting us into. So. I think I wonder if every psalm invites us to reflect on one attribute of God that really strikes them and meditate on how God has been faithful in that way in the past and in the future yeah. and how we want them to. That's yeah. great. Well, Libby, any final thoughts? No, just thank you for having me on again. Such no. a privilege. No, thank you. I appreciate I appreciate you letting me ask you some bonus questions. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> uh, not everyone gets bonus questions, but we trust that Libby can handle them. So really thankful for that. Maybe I can conclude how with these last two verses, kind of the, the hope of the psalmist in some ways, but I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you. You God are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. 
Friends go out and pray the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs>